0: Last week, we started a new series called Destroying Strongholds, and uh, we were looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and uh, just this idea that um, there's a spiritual battle going on, and the primary place that the war is happening is in our minds, and uh, the fight for the mind is something that we are to engage in, uh, but not on our own. We're to engage in it with Scripture, loaded down with God's truth, and so one of my biggest goals... In this entire series is just to stock your wagon full of scripture related to each one of these strongholds. I just want to give you as much scripture as I possibly can that you can use to destroy whatever stronghold you might be grappling with in your minds, and uh, hopefully God can use that, the Holy Spirit can use that in your life to do some great things. And so today we want to dive in. Go with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to spend most of our time We're also also going to step over into Proverbs twenty-one. So if you want to put an extra sheet of paper over there, uh, we'll get to Proverbs twenty-one a little bit later. So today I want to look at destroying financial bondage. I feel like this is kind of a good one to start the series since we're at the beginning of the year and usually it seems like beginning of the year is the time we all start looking at our finances again because we just spent all that money on Christmas or we're trying to figure out taxes or we're trying to figure out like what's this next year gonna look like and so um, this is I think is a timely thing and, and Um, So we're going to dig in this together in what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 12. So back in 1928, um, there was this meeting at the Edgewater Hotel, uh, at Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago, and it was a meeting of the planet's most wealthy people coming together to discuss uh, some business issues and business matters, And, and all together, the people in that room held more wealth together than the entire U.S. Treasury at the time they were regularly hailed as these shining examples of financial management and business and like if you were going to be successful in the financial world like do it like these guys that was kind of the way it was seen the media oftentimes would lift them up as these kind of you know these beacons of of financial management but a short 25 years after that meeting Here is the fate of each one of the attenders. Charles Schwab, president of the largest steel company at the time, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and died broke. Arthur Cutton was the greatest wheat speculator of the time, also died broke. Richard Whitney, president of the New York Stock Exchange, ended up serving time in Sing Sing Prison. Albert Fall was a member of the president's cabinet, and he was imprisoned for fraud and corruption. Jesse Livermore, Wall Street's greatest bear trader, ended up committing suicide. Leon Frazier, president of the Bank of International Settlements, also committed suicide. And lastly, Ivor Druger, head of the world's greatest monopoly, committed suicide. So these men who the world saw as These great masters at managing money and managing finances in the end actually proved that they weren't managing their money. Their money was actually managing them. And they were captive to it in many ways, and they were um, not the ones leading. They were the ones being controlled. Um, And that's what we're going to see today in Scripture is that that's how money works in our lives. It can either be something that we're using It can be something that's using us. And so let me kind of give you this major thought as we dive in today. Our call as followers of Christ is to spiritually manage money or it will selfishly manage you. Spiritually manage money or it will selfishly manage you. And we're going to see the reality of that across what I'm going to call five financial strongholds. Five things that we see in Scripture of ways that money can take a stronghold in our minds and control the way that we think, the way that we live, the way that we function. And then I want to take those five strongholds and I want to contrast those with what the Bible calls us to, which is faithful stewardship. Okay, and let you see the difference there and give you some tools here to fight against these strongholds. So, go with me to Luke chapter 12, and let's start in verse 13. Jesus here is talking and, and teaching to the crowd, and it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother... To divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made you a judge or arbiter over who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then jump down to verse 22 where he continues the thought. He says, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. So the first financial stronghold we're going to look at today is the spender. The spender. The spender has this mindset, or that believes the lie, that the more I get, the happier I'll be. Right? The more stuff I get, the more I, I, I can buy, the happier I will be. And oftentimes we call this consumerism or materialism today in our world and here, Jesus starts addressing this in Luke chapter 12. And first of all, this guy comes up to him and says, Hey, teacher, tell, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Like, it's not fair that he gets all of it. I should get some of it, right? Too Like, I deserve some. I need more. I, I want more than what I'm getting. Tell him to give me some. And I think Jesus' response is super interesting. He actually doesn't even, like, address the issue directly. He just says this to the crowd in general. Guard against all covetousness covetousness basically just means wanting more, right? That, I, what, that I'm not happy with what I have, I always want more. I want something that I don't yet have. That's covetousness. And it's also talked about in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10. It says this, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Isn't that the way? It's like every time we get to the next level of what we think we want and we get the more that we wanted, that lasts for a little bit and then we just want more again and more again. And when we always get, when we always want more, we're never happy when we get it. This is the mentality of the spender. This is the stronghold. And so Jesus says to these guys here, he says, listen, life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. And then later on down in verse, uh, was it 22, I think, he said, or 23, he says, your life is more than food and clothing. Say, listen, what you have and how much you can get is not what's going to make your life happy. It's not what's going to make your life better. It's not in the abundance of things. And what's so interesting to me is that this idea is still the exact same things that we're chasing today. Like, think about, what makes image in our culture, what entertainment is shaped around. Think about what status is shaped around. It's the same stuff, right? It's built on what you eat, what you wear, what you drive, what toys you have. Like, it's all the same stuff. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Think about, we just had Christmas, right? Think about the majority of the Christmas presents that you either gave or received, I almost guarantee you it was built around food or clothing or toys. Right? Because this is what what we find value in when it comes to things in life. You know, we're we're stepping into tax season now, and some of you are already thinking about that tax return that you're you know is coming back, and you're like some of you are already spending the tax return and you don't even have it in your hands yet. Because we have this mentality: if I can just get more, if I can just spend more, then I'll finally be happy and we get the thing that we wanted and we feel really great for a minute and then it fades and then we have to get the next thing and the next thing and the next thing to feel good again more stuff does not bring more happiness we got to break that stronghold mentality the truth of God's word, the weapon that we need here is this. Temporary things bring temporary joy. They're just a gap fill, right? They don't last. So that's the first stronghold is the spender, but there's plenty of others. If that one didn't hit you, don't worry. We got some more coming, okay? So let's look at the second one here. Keep looking in Luke chapter 12. Go to verse 16. So he responds to the first guy about the inheritance with this parable, right? He says, he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully... And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you prepared, whose will they be? so is the one, here's the key, that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Second stronghold, second financial stronghold is the saver. The saver. So this is kind of the opposite maybe of the first one, right? The saver has the mindset or this mentality that the more I save, the safer I'll be right? If I can just store up enough extra, then I'll always have it, and I I won't ever have to do without. I'll always be safe if I just have more saved up. And we see that here with the guy in the parable that Jesus is talking about, right? He says his field or his farm produced plentifully. So he had an abundance, right? He had extra. He had more than he needed, and instead of maybe being generous with that and helping others or doing something like that, he says, no, no, I'm just going to build bigger barns, and I'm just going to store it up. I want to keep all of it for myself so I can say to myself, you've got plenty. Look, you can just relax, and you don't have to work anymore, and you can just rest, and just, you can just be safe in your giant surplus. That was his mentality. And God's response to him is, your soul is required of you. In other words, no amount of money that you have or save is enough to save your soul. It doesn't work that way. And Jesus says at the end, he says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What he means by that is, when I save up all this money with the mentality of now I'm safe, I'm no longer trusting in God, I'm trusting in me. I'm trusting in what I've saved. I'm trusting in the money. I'm laying up treasure for me because I want to be safe. But when I'm rich towards God, I'm putting my trust in him, not in my savings. You tracking? Now, let me just be clear. There is nothing wrong with having a savings account, Okay? Um, Just in case you're you're, you're hearing what I'm not saying, all right? When we do financial counseling, we advise people, you need to have a savings account because there's unexpected expenses that come up. There's like You need to have some for a rainy day. It's not wrong to have a savings account. The problem is when I put all of my hope and my trust in that savings account and not in the Lord who provides for me. Let's be honest with you. This is something that I've struggled with in the past. Even this past year, Um, God challenged me on this issue because, over the last several years, over the last, you know, while, uh, we had several different changes in our lives with adoption and with church planting and all this kind of stuff. They kind of, our savings kind of got pretty bleak. (laughs) It got small. And so over the last couple years, we've been kind of building it back up, trying to get it back where we felt like it needed to be and where, you know, it was in a a comfortable place with that number, you know, that you're looking for. Like, when I get that number, then I'm I'm good. And so we, we kind of got it back up there. And then this last year, we had several unexpected expenses kind of come up, you know, with the house and with everything going on. And then my, I, my car died, and we had to get a different car. And then I hit a deer, so we had to get another different car. And it just, it's so like there's, so all of a sudden, like there's all this money coming out of the savings account after we just got it up there. And then we have the capital campaign. And God, as we're praying, God speaks to us and hey, I Hey, I want you to give a chunk out of your savings to this as well. I'm like, God, like that number's getting really low now. Like I, I'm not comfortable with that. And He said, which do you trust more? The money or me? Are you safer with a certain number in your savings account or are you safer with obedience to the Lord? I said, okay, you're right. (laughs) You're always right, God. But this is what he's calling us out of because just as much as we want to maybe point to the person who spends extravagantly and say oh look at them they got they got money problems sometimes the person who saves excessively also has a financial stronghold because they're trusting in that number more than they're trusting in the lord and the truth that we need from scripture to fight against this the weapon that we have is that their safety in life doesn't buy safety after death It's good to have some savings, it's good to be prepared in this life, but don't fool yourself that that's going to help you past your last breath, because it's not. Your soul is dependent on the Lord, it's not dependent on anything to do with your finances. So we have the spender, we have the saver, those are the first two financial strongholds. Look at the third one here, go back to Luke chapter 12. Go back, go down to verse 24. So earlier in verse 22, Jesus said, hey, your, your life's not made up of food and clothing. That's not the most important thing. And then he tells them this little teaching here in verse 24. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Third stronghold is the earner. The earner. Again, the mindset or the lie that the earner believes is that the more I make, the more valuable I'll be. If I can just bring more and if I can just earn more, then that's where my worth, that's where my value will come from. And Jesus talks here about ravens, so he starts talking, and he says, look at the ravens. They never, they never sow, they don't reap, they don't store up, and yet God feeds them. In essence, what he's saying is, listen, their value, God values them independent of what they do. He provides for them, he feeds them, not because they earn it, but because he loves and cares for them as part of his creation. Their value isn't in what they do. And he says, how much more of value are you? When we look at all of creation, we know that God created us as humans in his image. We are at the pinnacle of his creation, and therefore his love is more towards us than any other part. And so if he does this with with birds of the field, like, how much more? Is he going to love and care and provide for us, not because of what we do or how we earn it from him, but because he loves us? He says, why are you anxious, oh, you of little faith? You know what makes us anxious? When we start thinking that everything depends on us, right? Right? When it's only going to work if I earn it, if I do it, if it's in my, if, if I have to pull it off, then I start getting anxious because what if it doesn't happen? And I don't have any faith that God will provide. So Jesus addresses that here. Also in Ecclesiastes ten nineteen, Scripture says this, Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. But it doesn't. If you know anything about Ecclesiastes, by the way, there's oftentimes Solomon makes statements in there. that He then turns around and says, no, those aren't right. This is one of those. right? But oftentimes, that's our mentality, isn't it? That money answers everything. If we just had a little bit more, then we could solve all the problems. But it doesn't. And it doesn't bring us more value, and it doesn't bring us more worth. Jesus says right here again in his section in Luke, he says, do not seek what you need to eat or what you need to drink, but instead seek the kingdom. Don't seek your worth in created things. Seek your worth in the creator of all things, in the eternal king and his eternal kingdom. That's where our value lies. Not in what we have or what we earn. In Psalm 49, verse 16, the psalmist says this. He says, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. In other words, the Psalms is saying, yeah, you can build up some wealth, you can earn all this stuff, and that's going to get you some praise in this life, but it's not going to bring you any praise in the next life, because that's not the way God measures things. He doesn't measure us based on what we earn. You know, I was doing some research this week, and I found there's, there's a actually eerie correlation between the unemployment rate and the suicide rate in our country. It actually goes all the way back to the Great Depression where in the middle of the Great Depression, the suicide rate in America hit an all-time high with 40,000 people taking their life in a matter of two years. And we've seen this ever since, that typically for every 1% that the unemployment rate increases, the suicide rate also increases, 1%. Primarily among men, Sometimes it's women, but primarily among men, because as a whole, our society still sees the primary role of men to be the earner, right? To be the provider. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. God tells us that we should provide for our families. But when that role of earner or provider becomes the primary way that we see ourselves, when it becomes the, the center of who we think we are and where our worth lies, then if anything stops me from being able to do that, it looks like life is pointless. I no longer have any worth because I can't earn like I used to. God said, "That's that's not how I see you. That's not where your worth lies. It's not in what you earn or what you have. It's in the fact that I created you in my image. Come to me and let me fill you with worth and value. The weapon, the truth here that we have from God's word in response to this stronghold is that my worth is not in what I have but who I seek. It's in the Lord who he is and what he gives to us. Okay. So we have the spender, we have the saver, we have the earner. There's two more. For the next one, I want to flip to Proverbs. So if you've got Proverbs there, go over to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. And Proverbs is a great book to study. Uh, If you are, it has lots of um, financial wisdom and guidance in there, if that's something that you're studying. And it kind of talks here about a specific type of person or stronghold and thinking that I want us to touch on today as well. So Proverbs 21, verse 25 and 26 says, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. So the, the fourth stronghold I want to touch on is, I'm going to call it the schemer, all right? And the schemer has this mindset or this lie in his brain or her brain that the bigger the windfall, the easier life will be. If I can just get that big windfall, that big influx of cash, and I can just, then I can just coast through life, right? And, and here in the Scripture, um, in Psalm, or, I'm sorry, Proverbs 21-25, it calls them the sluggard. There's actually kind of two different guys that Proverbs talks about. They talk about the sluggard and they talk about the schemer. They are two different guys, but they kind of have a lot of overlapping characteristics. So we're just going to kind of cover it in one section here. But the sluggard, the schemer, both of them in Proverbs, they have... Um, This idea that he says here that they desire and they crave, but they refuse to labor. In other words, they're always looking for something for nothing, right? The mentality here is, I want to get as much as I can, as fast as I can, for as little work as possible. And then once I have it, I'll be set, and I can just coast. If you flip back a couple of other chapters to Proverbs 13... Verse 4, it says this. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. You see that? The sluggard gets nothing, but the diligent is richly supplied, which means to me that God expects us as followers of Christ to work diligently. This is something we're called to. We're not called to just coast, no matter how much you have. We're called to work diligently because we're working not for money, we're working for the Lord, for His honor, for His glory. Look at Proverbs thirteen eleven. It says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Gained hastily, it dwindles quickly. But when I work diligently and I, and I earn little by little and it increases, then I have what I need. This is why get-rich-quick schemes don't work, <laughs> or at least they don't last, right? Because even if you do get that quick influx of cash, it's not going to sustain you because you don't know how to handle it, because it's all about just the getting and not the working. Proverbs 12, 11 says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. If you work, you'll have plenty. If you follow worthless pursuits, then you will have lack. You probably heard the saying, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> That's what proverbs is saying. Like listen, if you're running after some payoff that sounds too good to be true and it's too easy and it's just a, a quick, you know, drop in the, in the hat, like it's not going to work. It's not going to last in comparison to all of that we get to the new testament in colossians chapter 3 and paul says this he says verse 23 whatever you do work heartily as for the lord and not for men and when he says work heartily there he literally means work with heart right work with with good intentions with with fervor with like all you've got put yourself into it not to earn money, not to better yourself, not because you feel like it, but because we're working, he says, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men. As followers as of Christ, everything we do is to be a reflection of our master. And so when I work hard, when I work diligently, it's because I want to honor the Lord and I want to be a reflection of who he is. Again, just if you've ever seen statistics on this, you'll know that lottery winners are kind of like the, the greatest picture of this idea from Scripture, I think, that we have in modern day. Those who win the lottery are more likely to declare bankruptcy within three to five years after they're winning than the average American who doesn't. In fact, 70% of lottery winners end up bankrupt after they've won this huge windfall of cash. And it's because they don't know how to handle it. They don't know, they don't know how to, what to do with it because they haven't earned it. They haven't worked for it. They don't appreciate the effort that it takes to build that kind of wealth. And so it just gets frivolously spent and lost. The same is true with all get-rich-quick schemes. They miss the perspective that comes in the process of working to get what we're given. From the Lord. When, when we don't work for money and we work for the Lord, then we have the tools and the mindset and the perspective necessary to handle whatever he blesses us with in return for that work. So the weapon, the truth here that we need to combat this idea, this stronghold, is we need to work to glorify God, not gratify self. We work to glorify God, not just gratify myself, not just fill my belly or fill my bank account or buy the new thing I want or whatever it is. Can okay, so that that's stronghold? I want to hit one more, and this one's actually going to come from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10 and 17. These verses will be familiar to many of you, but if you want to flip there, you can go to the back of your Bible, 1 Timothy, smaller book there towards the end. But in verse six, um, sorry, chapter 6, verse 10, he says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Then drop down to 17, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So this last stronghold is maybe one that you would think less of or you might not think much about because um, it doesn't seem like a stronghold, but it certainly is, and that is what i call the avoider. The avoider believes that the more I have, the more evil I'll become. The more I have, the more evil I'll become. In other words, they believe that money in itself is evil, right? And that good, godly people are always poor or at least not rich, right? Because if you have too much money, then you become an evil person. That's kind of their mentality. But if we do a survey of God's word, we see that that is completely false. In fact, there's example after example of godly saints who followed God and were used by God, and yet were very wealthy. If you go to the Old Testament, you see Abraham and all of his family, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they all were very wealthy men and yet used by God in mighty ways. You look at Job. He was wealthy both before and after his trial. God still blessed him even after he went through it. When we go to the New Testament, you have like Joseph of Arimathea, who was so wealthy that he had his own private tomb ready for his burial that he then was able to give to bury Jesus after his crucifixion. You have Lydia who was a wealthy businesswoman who underwrote a large portion of Paul's ministry as a result of the wealth that she had. You know, Dorcas, who gave generously to the poor out of her abundance. So we have all these examples of wealthy followers of God in the Bible. And so it's not money that is evil. Look very carefully here at 1 Timothy 6. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. That's the key. It's where is our heart in relation to what we have. This is why further down in verse 17, Paul says, as for the rich. So in other words, he's talking to the church here and he says, listen, for those of you who are Christians who are rich, there must be some, right? They're, they're, like Paul's saying like there's, there's some of you who are in this category. He says, as for the rich, here's how you handle it. Don't be haughty. Don't hope in your money but hope in God. Again, he's addressing the heart. Don't love what you have, love the one who gave it to you. But he also says this, hope in God who richly provides for us to enjoy. think that's another important piece that we need to be aware of. Like God is a good father and he loves his children and he is totally okay. He has no problem with people having things and enjoying what they have as long as their hope is in Him and not the money. It's not bad to enjoy what God blesses you with. He wants you to enjoy it. You're His child. He just doesn't want you to enjoy it more than you enjoy Him. Are you with me? It's a hope issue. It's a heart issue. In Luke 6.38, Jesus says this. He says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the me, With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Look at that language that Jesus uses, right? Good measure, running over, pouring out into your lap. Like, God loves to give much to those who give like he gives. Right? So if you're generous with what you have, God will give you more to be generous with. Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8. through 8. He says, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. The sequence there is really important in what Paul says. He says if you sow bountifully that you will reap bountifully and then he turns around and he says so that you can give with a heart for the Lord, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but joyfully give out of what God has given you. He says and if you do that grace will abound to you with all sufficiency so that you may abound in every great work, right? It's always this, yes, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you so that you can give in return. All the biblical characters that I just went through earlier, all those examples were the same way. They didn't just have a lot. They also gave a lot to the Lord and to others in his name. So the truth, the weapon that we need here for this stronghold is simply this. God gives through me, not just to me. If what God gives simply terminates in my life and it's just all for me, that's not going to work. But when he gives to me, it's so that he can give through me to others and to his mission, to his work. So those are the five strongholds that I see in scripture. One, the saver, the um uh, sorry, the spender, the saver, the earner, the schemer, and the evader, And I want to compare that to what God calls us to, which is the correct mentality, faithful stewardship. Right? This is the way God wants us to approach money. And so to help you, I'm going to give you three truth bombs, okay, to destroy these other strongholds with ideas of faithful stewardship. So number one, I belong to God. It all starts right here. That you and I, we belong to God. Let me give you some scripture for that. Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created, that's Jesus, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He created all of us for himself. All things include you and me, right? So we were created for him. We belong to him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, here he's talking specifically to Christians, right? Because he says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you can't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you until you have put your faith in Jesus. That's the way the gospel works, right? We all have to come to this place where we understand that, yes, I am a sinner, that I am going my own way. I have rebelled against God. I have rebelled against his word. I have sinned against him. And because of that, I'm separated from God, and I deserve punishment. I deserve hell, and, and I deserve his wrath for my sin. But God, in his loving kindness and in his grace, says, I'm going to come, I'm going to help fix that so that we can be restored with him. And he sent his son Jesus to come to be born, to live a perfect and sinless life, then to go to the cross and die in our place. To take our sin upon him and to give his sinless life to cover the debt that we owed for our sin. And he died on the cross in our place, and he was buried. And three days later, he rose back to life to prove that he was God and to offer us forgiveness of our sins. But we can only be forgiven because, as Paul said right here, we are bought with a price. And that price was the blood of Jesus Christ. We are not our own anymore, fellow believers if you put your faith in Jesus, you don't belong to yourself, you belong to him. You were bought with a price. It's interesting here in 1 Corinthians 6, um, the language is really that of a slave, right? We saying that you've been bought, that you are not your own, that we are literally now slaves to Christ, we are servants to him. And when it comes to financial matters, that means that we don't get to make the decisions, Right? He makes the decisions, and we just follow what he tells us to do. He's the master. We are the stewards. Because we don't belong to ourselves. That's the first truth bomb. Second one. Number two. God owns everything. <laughs> okay, Not just us, but he literally owns everything in creation. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The earth and its fullness. The, I think that covers everything. Right? Like God owns all of it. Because back in Genesis 1, he created all of it. It's his. And oftentimes we'll have this conversation with people and they'll be like, yeah, I understand that, Micah, but you know, I, I work hard and I I go, I, I do all this stuff, and like. I earned this money. Like This is my money. I earned this at my job. I worked for this. Okay? Deuteronomy 8, 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So yes, we go out and we work and we might earn a living, but we only do that because God has already given us the power, the talent, the ability, the skill, the health to do that work and earn that income. It's all from him. He owns all of it. This is why in 1 Chronicles 29, 14, I love this part, David Here, he's before the Lord and they're giving offerings at the temple and he says this, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. He's saying literally, the offerings that we're giving you, God, they're not even ours. They're already yours. We're just giving back to you. It's like like when you got little kids, right, and they want to get mommy and daddy a, a, a Christmas present. Like you're just giving them your money to buy you a present. Like it's, it's just coming back to you. The same thing is true here with us and the Lord. It's all his. Everything that we have is his. And so when we give our tithes, when we give our offerings, when we give back to him, we're just giving him what he already owns as a sign of honor and respect and worship unto the Lord. So I belong to God. God owns everything. And then number three, I steward God's money. This is our calling. This is our job, is to simply be a steward. In Matthew six twenty four, Jesus says this. He says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't have two masters. You've got to be a servant to one or the other. And that determines how you will use or steward your money. You can either use God and serve money, or you can use money and serve God. It's all a matter of where your heart is. Who are you submitted to as master? Who will rule over your heart? Money or God? The only way we can be faithful stewards is to put our heart with the Lord and not with anything else. So, I want to end with this. Just as application, I'm going to give you three principles of faithful stewardship. Number one. Jesus is my treasure. This has to be the foundational thing that you believe, that you feel, that you know to be a faithful steward. Philippians 3, 7-8 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What Paul is saying is like, Listen, Christ is my greatest gain. There is no greater treasure. There is no greater value. He is supreme in my heart. And because of that, Next to him, everything else looks like rubbish. Can we say that this morning? Can we say that in our hearts and our minds that truly everything else in this world that we think is so important is rubbish when we put it next to Christ? Is he our greatest treasure? That's the first step for faithful stewardship. Number two. It's more blessed to give than to receive. This is just a straight quote from Jesus in Acts 20, 35. He tells them: it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's because giving is at the heart of who God is. You understand, that, right? Like our God is not a taker, he is a giver. And so it is more blessed to be like him and to give than to receive. And that's not wrong to receive. But I think here's the question that we have to ask. Does my receiving always lead to more giving? As I receive from the Lord, as I receive from others, does that lead me then to give more in response to what I have been given? That's a faithful steward. I'm not saying you have to give it all. Right? Like God gave it to you for a reason to use. But as I receive, does that lead my heart to be even more giving as my God is giving? So that's number two. Number three, last thing, store up treasure in heaven. Store up treasure in heaven. Go back to Luke chapter 12 where we started the whole thing. I want to to catch that last couple statements from Jesus when he's teaching there on finances in Luke chapter 12. Look at this. Go to verse 32. It says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is calling us here to not trust in or put value in just the wealth and the treasures of this earth, but rather to use it to be a steward of what God has given us in order to store up for ourselves treasures that will last for eternity. It says, as you give it in my name, as you give it to my work, as you give it as an as a, as a ambassador of who I am, you're sending it on ahead into heaven where you will now have treasure stored up for eternity. This is what a faithful steward does. You store up treasure in heaven. So again, ask yourself, when you look at the way you handle finances, when you look at the way you handle money, Am I sending it on ahead? Am I using what God has given me in such a way that I am sending it on ahead and storing up treasure with my Lord in heaven for all eternity? This is a faithful steward. Jesus is my greatest treasure. It's more blessed to give than receive. And I'm storing up treasure in heaven. With that mentality, with that heart, we can be faithful stewards for the Lord. Jesus ends this little section here in Luke, and he says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's really the crux of the whole thing. If for you the treasure is in spending or saving or earning or any of those things, then that shows that your heart and your mind are in money and not in the Lord. But if your mindset is that of stewarding for God's kingdom, then it shows that your heart and your treasure are with Him. We're called spiritually manage money or it will selfishly manage you. We have to tear down these strongholds. It's easy. Listen, guys, I'm not up here just pointing fingers, all right? I haven't told you one of my own today. It's easy for any of us to fall into some of these traps, even momentarily, of spending or saving or earning and get our minds and ourselves focused on these approaches to money. But I'm not necessarily talking about those those kind of missteps on a day-to-day basis. I'm talking about is there a constant, continual pattern in your life? Are you constantly struggling financially? Are you constantly living in frustration and in bondage financially because you're stuck in one of these mindsets? If so, we need to destroy that stronghold with the truth of God's word. We need to become faithful stewards to the Lord. Remember, you belong to him. Everything belongs to him. So we're called to be wise stewards for both this life and for eternity. With God's help and with God's power and God's truth we can live lives that honor God with our finances. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father we just come to you today. God we thank you God so much for for just another Sunday to come to worship you God. But God, we're we're here for more than just more than just a lifting of our hearts, more than just a lifting of our eyes. Lord, as much as we want to do that, as much as you're worthy of that, God, we recognize that we also need you. And so God, we're asking you to show up today in our hearts and our lives and do some work on some of these strongholds. Lord, thank you so much for creating us, for providing for us every day. God, it's all from your hands. Thank you for calling us to yourself and for giving us an opportunity to be your stewards. So God, we're praying, we're asking now, help us. Help us by the power of your word, by the power of your spirit to destroy these financial strongholds in our minds, in our lives. Help us to live as faithful stewards for your glory. God, we've confessed today, we Long today for it to be true that you are our greatest treasure. In you, we have everything. And so we praise your name. We pray all this in Christ's name.